Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast. And unfortunately, we're not um, doing this at the pub, but probably a good thing because, um, Larry, I'm not sure of your swimming skills. Um, no flooding around your area? Mate, no, but um, look, as you know, I'm based out of Parramatta, mate. The Parramatta River is ridiculously high. I, I was, I like to walk at lunch. I was getting my floaties ready. It's ready for a full-fledged swim. It, it was ridiculous. Sydney is Manchester this weekend. It has been pissing rain. And I think it reflects the mood. It's got a very Manchester feel. And um, obviously, Man United did their best to ruin our Monday morning as they so often, feels like they so often do. But we'll get into it. Um, obviously, a disappointing result against Leicester and knocked out of the FA Cup. Um, 3-1 defeat. Um, where do you want to start on that performance? Well, we're going to get into Fred in a little bit, but I think in regards to start in 11, a little bit of a shock. No one, I think all of us called for Donny van der Beek to start. However, it is a shock when you see his name in the starting lineup. So um, what do you think of Donny van der Beek? One, his inclusion, but also his performance. Inclusion I was happy with. I think we've all been calling for him to get game time. He hasn't set the world alight, and I think we have to cast the or accept the reality of that. He he needs more opportunity to settle in, and you know Fred needed time to settle in, and I know we'll get to Fred, but he's come from a different league, which comes at a different pace, and yeah, he needs an adjustment. So I was happy to see him be included in an important game, not just the cameo that we've familiarised ourselves with the Dutchman this season, but. I didn't think he was bad. Just again, just in that number ten spot, I just not sure if it suits him. I just not sure with the the system we have. Because if you think of the way Bruno plays, it's not that traditional number ten. He's almost like a second striker. He's right behind the striker, really involved in the goals. I think Fender Bates more of a traditional midfielder, and I just think he'd benefit from probably playing a bit deeper. But in terms of what he did on the pitch, didn't do anything wrong. I think just there, when you say he should play a little bit deeper, or not should, but definitely could play a little bit deeper, I look at it, and especially when he gets stuck in that number 10 position, he's um, he always picking up the ball in tight areas. And I think not to play him in a six role, but just get him involved in the play more because he's someone who can dictate the tempo. He's very good sort of one-two touch football, but he's getting the ball in the area where his second touch is a tackle because an NDD is there or a central defensive midfielder is there. But if you drop him deeper into where Fred or Matic plays, he's picking up the ball and he has five or ten metres of space where he can make that pass and start to sort of get involved in the play. However, look, I, th- I think we'll just go on to Fred then because obviously Donny van der Beek can't get into the team in that area because there is a certain Brazilian called Fred um, in there. And before we get into the Fred's performance, because we're going to criticise him and I feel criticise him heavily in this podcast. But before we get into that, obviously, and it, we don't need to mention it, but it, we do need to mention it because it's come out he's been racially abused online after the match, which I would say it's a shock, but it's not a shock. It happens after every defeat, a United player or football player for whatever club, but especially United, which we're so heavily invested in, get racially abused. And look, we're going to criticise him, and I feel wrong for criticising him now because now I want to sort of go back on Team Fred and just defend him to the hill because of the abuse he's copping. But it's just sad because criticise him all you want, but I don't understand how these accounts on Twitter or Instagram, whatever, are still allowed to sort of function and stay so prevalent and abusing sort of players. I've seen it with Slavia Prague. That's happened on the pitch, and Slavia Prague haven't done anything to really stop that. So, um, yeah, it's not going away. But Fred, the performance. Um, I'll let you have your two cents first because I have a few things to say as well. But, wow. Well, firstly, I'm not sure he's Brazilian because when I think of Brazilian footballers, I think of brilliance, I think of touch. 
skill, finesse, just everything Fred isn't. And, and, you know, his work rate is something I can never take away from him. He runs his legs off. His engine is phenomenal. His commitment, his desire, I can't fault him on any of those fronts. But when it comes to thinking about the game, he's just not there. And on top of that, he lacks genuine quality. Now, if, if I'm being honest, him and McTominay aren't too different as footballers, in, in my opinion. But where I think McTominay overtakes Fred is he doesn't he's not riddled with errors. McTominay does think about the game. I'd actually say he's not he's not maybe not the most intelligent footballer, but definitely he has an awareness about him. Whereas Fred just and you saw it with the goal today. In well, two goals. He he plays a major part in the second goal as well. But the first goal particularly, it's really poor Tom, just not having an awareness of his position on the pitch, not showing an urgency just not being aware. And I, I just, I can't excuse that because it's been far too often. His touch is appalling, you know, for, for a player sits in the middle of midfield. I don't, I don't want to go on too long. I think that's all I really want to say about Fred and, and this performance, but we've said it all along. I think it's, it's clear. He's not a Manchester United caliber player. I think at best a squad player, but even then I think that that's a stretch. Um, I think he's a good footballer, but I don't think if Manchester United have an ambition of, being title contenders or winning the title, I don't think Fred's part of that midfield. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And, and just on the goal, which we'll get in, and I don't need to give anyone my thoughts about my thoughts in regards to his football intelligence. I've said that on previous podcasts and it'll just bore everyone to death. I don't think he's an intelligent footballer. And Harry Maguire is somewhat at fault as well. I, think, I don't think Harry Maguire does him any favours by playing in that pass. However, he's playing a £50 million footballer the ball onto his favoured foot. Fred needs to deal with that situation. And I think the camera was sort of was a little bit cut when the incident happened and the camera was f- focused, zoomed in on someone. It went to the long shot where Ian Archer was putting the ball in the net. So you didn't exactly see what happened. Or on my TV, I didn't see exactly what happened. But you just knew. You just knew Fred has lost the ball in a dangerous area. They showed the replay and we all know what happened. But you just mentioned there... Did he attempt to pass that though? Was that not an attempted pass? It looked to me like it was, just didn't have enough weight behind it. Yeah, well, it's the awareness. He, he doesn't he doesn't see the player on the right, so he thinks, okay, I'll get the ball and play Dean Henderson. But he doesn't realise that player's there. Then at the last minute, just as he's going to play the ball, he realises, oh, there is a player there. But that he should be aware. He's facing the play. He's facing where Harry Maguire is. So he has a picture of where those strikers are. He should already know that. And, um, yeah, look, th- th- that comes down to his awareness and his intelligence. But I just want to go back to your point in regards to Scott McTominay. And you say, like, what's the difference? And they both sort of play in that same position. And look, we label them McFred. We sort of always have them in the same bracket. And I just look and I think, if both put in a defensive performance, we think very similar. Break-up play, a lot of energy, a lot of work rate, and that's great. What does Fred offer going forward? Because McTominay, well, you say Fred's probably a better footballer in regards to technical ability. McTominay is the one who offers something going forward. He offers drive going forward. He offers goal threat. Fred is probably the least dangerous player I've ever seen at Old Trafford in the final third. I think we're, it's woeful when he gets the ball in the final third, both from a creative point of view, but definitely a shooting point of view. And Scott McTominay, questioning what you want in regards to his ability, but he has a knack of scoring goals, which Fred doesn't have. So I look at those two together and think, well, if you're to choose one, it's Scott McTominay for me. Oh, yeah, it's not even a debate. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, and McTominay's got the size as well. And, you know, like I, I'm not one who's big on, you know, you, you have to be a big footballer to be a good footballer. You know, one of the best footballers I've ever seen is Paul Scholes, Iniesta, Messi, you know. But Fred just, you know, he's just lacking in so many areas. 
and work rate alone is not good enough. You know, we, we had this argument, this debate with Ashley Young. You know, he, passion, work rate, it's all there. But ultimately, to be a Manchester United footballer, that's the difference between a player from Manchester United and a player for Sunderland. It's your ability on the ball. It's the ability to influence on the pitch. And Fred just doesn't have that ability, unfortunately. Well, just back to Oni's awareness, and I don't want to make this the Fred podcast, but look, here we are, we might as well do it. On the second goal as well, look, there's a lot of people at fault in that second goal, but I look at Fred, and just in, because I play, used to play central midfield, and I look at his awareness there. Now, Manja Matic is engaged with the ball, so he goes towards the ball. Fred is over near Aaron Wambasaka at right back, about 30 metres away. You always have to be never more than 10 metres away, or try to never be more than 10, 15 metres from your centre, from your centre midfield partner. And he's 30, 40 metres away. In, it's, not a ba- it's not a quick transition or anything where you, you can excuse a player for being out of position. He just hasn't read the situation 10, 20 seconds in advance. So far away from him, the player skips past, I think it's Tillman, skips past Nemanja Matic. And that is where your next midfielder comes in as provided cover. Fred is 30 metres away. And again, just look, there's a lot of people at fault for that goal, both Matic and the back four. But another fault where Fred, I just think if his awareness is a little bit better there, that situation doesn't arise. But um, look, again, a lot of criticism there, but I think it ultimately a more important point does come back to the racism issue, which I think takes sort of a lot, holds a lot more weight because, okay, we can criticise a player here, but if you find... Obviously, none of our listeners would be sort of, sort of doing this, but if you come across any of that racial abuse, just do what we can in regards to reporting the Twitter and Instagram because while we are critical of him, he is one of our players and you do need to support him. Um, in that manner. Now, is there anything before we move on to the dreadful challenge of trying to find three two ones? Anything in regards to the match that was worth talking about? No, not really. You know, the, it was one of those Donny, matches. Good dummy by Van der Beek for Greenwood's goal. Yeah, well, you we, you want to talk about football intelligence and good awareness? That's good awareness hmm. to have the understanding that Mason Greenwood is behind him and to have that thought process, that pace. It's really good. Um, I don't know. It was a weird one. I've got to say, I was really disappointed in the midfield, but it just looked like tired legs out there, didn't it? I, I felt like United went with good intentions. I think Solskjaer, no, no criticism in terms of the setup of the team. Um, but, you know, you can question the, the rotation and the handling of the squad. Um, well, yeah, we'll de- on the we'll match itself. We'll definitely get into that in regards to Solskjaer. And now that we only have one trophy to look forward to, we'll, we'll sort of look at how he has handled the squad but you just say they you're disappointed in midfield, and of course, yeah, our midfield wasn't good enough. But I've made this point on previous podcasts where I say, well, we if we look at the Leicester midfield, all our fans want to buy those midfielders for £100 million. We, and I know James Madison didn't play, but a lot of us want James Madison. A lot of us want Taylor Menz. A lot of us want Ndidi. So these are players we sort of promote as better than our midfielders, but then yet we cry when our midfielders aren't as good as them. No, I take that point, and but you know, I'm I'm not one to sit here and claim that United do have a better midfield. Um, I think Paul Pogba is the only exception. You know, I think you t- most people take Ndidi over Matic. I think you take Tielmans over McTominay and Fred. So yeah, I think they do have a better midfield than us. It's a very warranted statement, but I think I make that point because it just shows and it's a reminder of where this team is at. You know, Bruno Fernandez is fantastic, but. Even on his worst day, you saw today, when he's not on that pitch, United lacks something about them. And Pogba and Bruno, for me, when you put them together, excellent. But I think when you remove one of them from each other, Bruno probably definitely more effective. 
But I think you see the complement of Manchester United when those two players play, play together. You know, Michael Carrick and Paul Scholes, excellent together. Keenan Scholes. Midfields are about partnerships. And it just shows that, you know, if you, you can't just get away with having one elite player in there. You, you need to have a good caliber or a good core of a strong midfield. And United just don't have that. And I just think today was a good example of that and a good reason why United need to invest in that area in the summer. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, the big challenge of this podcast will be three, two, ones. I've got two names that spring to mind. Um, I'll give you the floor for three points. I think maybe we'll just go a default answer for three points. I assume I know where you're going to go with this one. It's Mason Greenwood. Yeah, I think Mason Greenwood goal. And again, performed well. Doing what Greenwood is doing is performing quite well at the moment. Almost a thankless task in regards to being that centre forward or especially that attacking player. We're not creating too much, so it's hard for him. But um, yeah, I think Worthy, good goal, good to see him score. Just a shame it doesn't mean anything. You hope those goals come in sort of positive results. But I'm um, happy to give three points for Mason Greenwood. Um, now it gets a little bit tricky. I want to throw a name out there who we haven't discussed. Um, and again, not that I'm saying he's worthy of points, but you consider the performance, you consider the disappointing result. I didn't think Wan-Bissaka was too bad. He stole the name out of my mind, yeah. I, I thought Wan-Bissaka was good. He was the only player who didn't really get caught out defensively. I thought Maguire was all over the place today. Inacho gave him a solid headache. He was fouling him left, right and centre. So, yeah, I thought Wan-Bissaka was actually quite solid. Not because he was brilliant, but he just didn't do anything wrong. Well, that is where I'm stumped. Greenwood, Wambasaka. Now we're really getting the shovel for the bottom of the barrel. Um, any names for one point? Yeah, Henderson was all right. Was he? <laughs> uh, I didn't think it was that bad, yeah. I, I don't think he's at fault for any of the goals. Is there any any of the subs make any any impact for you? I mean, Pogba, Pogba got the assist. I thought Matic for that second goal was the most at fault for me. He lost his man cold turkey. Um not really, mate. Like, it's it's hard. It's hard here. Um, I didn't think Lindelof did anything wrong. I don't, I don't put him at fault for any of the goals. You just mentioned Pogba there. I thought Pogba, yeah, again, not that influential, but you can see his quality compared to a McTominay or Fred, a player that. So when he does, the ball come, does come into him. You can see there's something there. However, there is that thing with Pogba, whether rightfully or wrongfully, you do expect a little bit more. So I think his performance is probably up there in regards to... But it was okay. If you put better players in, in that midfield with him, I think he has goes on to have a man-of-the-match performance. He, mm. He's a, such a good footballer. If we look at Pogba's best periods at United, he had Nemanja Miric, who was in Maric, an unbelievable form, and then next to Ender Herrera. If you remember when Oli first took over, Pogba was unplayable. Mm. And it's because there was a really solid midfield next to him. It's just... We, we just don't have those players at the moment. That's all it is. I mean, in the one opportunity, he got a glimpse of space. He sets up a goal in traffic. Yeah. So. We'd be going, um, well, Pogba or Henderson for a point. You'd have to go Pogba. Um, I think with Henderson, while didn't do anything wrong, you know, maybe an elite goalkeeper keeps one of those out. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't, but. Well, we'll see. We'll see what all the Facebook comments are. There's three or four Facebook comments. George has gone three for Greenwood, two for Pogba, and one for Donny van der Beek. Um, Elliot Redwin has gone um, three for Greenwood, two for Pogba, and one for Luke Shaw. So you're obviously happy with Luke Shaw's impact. 
and Adam has gone three points for Greenwood and I'd say lightly isn't happy with either Martial or Fred. Um, I don't think he's given them any points, by uh, judging by his comments. And um, Josh agrees with Elliot saying maybe the same for three two ones. maybe add in Donny van der Beek somewhere in there. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think it's important we do it in terms of giving points because if someone does give a man of the match performance and we decide not to give points, um, it might sort of. I don't get the hate from Martial today. I, I, I'm not. I, of course, he didn't pull any trees down, but again, not at fault for today's performance. He got no service. I don't like. What do you want him to do? Yeah, it's, it's same with Greenwood. I look at Greenwood and think it's not quite sticking for him. I think well, nothing's happening for him. And same, same for Anthony Martial. And then I look at Anthony Martial's performance there. And a big criticism will be his work rate. But I'll just look back and think, I know it doesn't suit the agenda. I know it doesn't maybe pass the eye test. But he works 10 times harder than Marcus Rashford. And Marcus Rashford is putting those numbers up, and I love Rashford. But um, you can't compare the two and say, oh, Rashford would have done this, because he doesn't. Anthony Martial does put the work in. However, his execution at the moment is lacking. And um, ultimately, the execution is what counts, because Rashford's putting up fantastic numbers. But, uh, and Anthony Martial isn't, and ultimately that potentially cost Anthony Martial his spot at United. And just in regards to that, we'll move on a little bit onto the striker debate. We had um, the, the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney were lucky enough over the weekend to have Dwight York on a Zoom call for about an hour and a half. It was really good. It's a shame we couldn't record it for the podcast, but it was a private link. But it was a really good chat, and we're asked, I asked him a question in regards to Martial and Rashford. He, because he was talking about Andy Cole earlier in sort of the chat, and he said the reason Andy Cole was so good was because Andy Cole just played striker. He didn't play left wing, he didn't play right wing, he didn't drop in the hole, he was a number nine. So he learned his trade every day at training, he was playing number nine, and that's why Andy Cole was so good. So I raised the question to Dwight York saying, do you think Anthony Marshall and Marcus Rashford, even Greenwood to an extent, their career will almost their versatility will be a bit of a detriment to their career. They can't really nail down a spot because they're so versatile. And he's saying, he just sort of agreed a little bit and then went on about a five-minute rant. Not a rant, but a five-minute passionate plea. United must do whatever they can to sign Haaland. I just asked him a question, can Martial or Rashford be a striker? And he just went for five minutes saying, United, do whatever you can to break the bank to get um, Erling Haaland. So just on Haaland... I think there's, look, everyone knows all of Europe will be after him, but another name has popped up in regards to potentially leaving his club, um, Harry Kane. So just your, look, we're going to have plenty of podcasts in the future in regards to who we want and transfer targets and transfer rumours. But obviously we want Haaland, but are you seeing a potential deal for Harry Kane? Maybe, I don't know, as hard as it would be doing with Tottenham, almost easier to do. It's an interesting one. I think the market for Harry Kane won't be there, so he might he'll be easier in terms of getting out of Tottenham. But I think Levy make you bleed through the nose to get him. And I think in terms of what's the cheaper deal, and which deal makes more sense in terms of value, in terms of commercial um, appeal, Harlan ticks all the boxes. He's so young as well. He's only twenty years of age. Like that's a striker for ten years minimum. He's he's phenomenal. His goal record at his age is his goal record at any age is ridiculous. What he's doing at 20 years of age, and you know what's scary, Tom? His frame hasn't filled out yet. What's he going to be like when he's put on another five kilos of solid muscle and his body's a bit more broader? And he's quick. He's a freak. He can do anything. Like he's not an in terms of footballing ability. Like when I talk, I mean technical ability. Like on the ball, I don't think he's fantastic, but. 
he's just a pure killer in front of the goal, mate. He just puts in the back of the net. I think United would be mad not to go for him. I understand there's COVID and budget constraints and all of that, but that is a one. If you can do, if he's our single signing for next season, I'm happy with that. Well, what do you say there? Because the whole football world, look, look, there'll be big clubs after Haaland. Definitely Real Madrid will be interested. Dortmund will want to keep him. Um, you got Chelsea will be interested. I assume Liverpool, they've not really talked about. I assume they're probably going to look at a big-name striker because I assume once one of their front men are going to leave. Um, you got Chelsea, Man City are probably the favourites for him. And you got us in there as well. Whether you want to throw Barcelona in there, I'm not quite sure. Bayern Munich, oh, look, potentially. Can I throw it. one at you? you? You're going to call me... Uh... Romance, romant. What's the term I'm looking for? Romantis? Is that a word? It is now. Romantic. Um, yeah, romantic. Jeez, what's wrong with me? Making up words. Um, I would not be surprised if United go in for Cristiano Ronaldo. It would not surprise me in the slightest. Hear me out. He's 35 years of age. He will be sold, not cheap, but doable price for United, given his age. We've got Cavani, who's on the books, who has been okay, but not set the world alight. In Ronaldo, you get experience, you get guarantee of goals, you get someone who can play number nine, and you will sell a shitload of shirts. And in terms of the commercial opportunity that he'll attract, he's a cheaper deal to do than Haaland. You might need to cop it with the wages. I could see United doing it. I, th- I think he's definitely he'll definitely be on a list though, that every club, but especially United, would be stupid not to be monitoring Ronaldo's situation. I think that's definitely a plan B or a plan C. However, it's probably the best plan B or best plan C you could potentially ever have. So um, I, I, I'm sure the club will be fully all over that um, Ronaldo deal if Haaland deal falls through, which is very likely. But you just mentioned there, um, just back on Haaland and Kane, you say Haaland, okay, he's the prime target, he's number one, and it's probably a little bit cheaper than Harry Kane. But then you're thinking, well, are you happy spending, let's say, 120 I'd say 120, 130 million up to 150 for Kane because that is unfortunately what Spurs are going to charge. If we His do injury miss out, but if we do miss out on Haaland, how important is that striker? If we do miss out on Haaland, are you prepared to go and break the bank for a striker? Because there are obviously other priorities in the squad. You know what? If you got a good right-sided winger, like an elite-level winger, I think United would be all right next season. I know Martial hasn't fired as well as we would have hoped. But I think if you had Sancho, for example, um, that elite winger, someone who can chip in with goals and create more opportunities, because, you know, you look at United and we say, yeah, we don't score enough goals. That's not purely just because of finishing. That's because we just don't create enough chances across the board. So if you can get a good winger who has the ability to dribble past someone, so that's an upgrade on, say, a Dan James and... It's an upgrade on Mason Greenwood because he's, he's not a winger. Um, I think if you can get that player, I still think United create more goals. And if you get a good creative midfielder who has the ability to put a splitting pass through the defence, again, that'll create more goals. So, of course, I, I would love that elite number nine. If, if it's something we can do, for sure you do it. But you, there is an argument to say United will still improve next season if you get that really good number six or number eight, along with a good right winger. I think that creates more goals in itself, and I think you could get away with it for another season. Yeah, no, definitely hard to argue. And look, we're definitely going to have many chats and many podcasts about that over the coming months when the transfer. Well, let me ask you, Tom. I mean, you're you're putting the question to me. What what do you think? If you had the option of a hundred million on Haaland, or you know, putting one fifty toward a good number six and a good right winger, what would you do? 
look, today I'll say Haaland, tomorrow I'll say get a six and a winger. Um, you, you can't pick it. I think there is an appeal in regards to even if he isn't the number one priority in terms of what the squad needs, there is, and sadly, but you do have to look at it, that commercial appeal in terms of getting Haaland at his age and his potential. If the chance to get him is now or never, you get him now. Now, obviously, I think we do need a centre-back. We do need a centre-defensive midfielder who are probably maybe a little bit more important now. But, yeah, you got sometimes I have to play the long game and look over the next five or ten years. So, look, my answer on that will change um, probably on a daily basis. But um, just on trophies, because obviously we have been unfortunately knocked out of the FA Cup and Man United and football fans do live and breathe by trophies and managers will ultimately pay the price in regards to winning or not winning trophies. And... Um, just your thoughts on Solskjaer, because he's had a few quotes on during the week, and look, they have been taken out of context a little bit in regards to sort of clickbait titles, saying he doesn't sort of judge the team's progression and development on trophies. And I, look, if you read it in context, he's completely right in saying you have to look at the league. Any team can win a cup. Um, that does. You, I remember you made the point during the day. Louis Van Gaal won the FA Cup and got sacked. So you can understand why Solskjaer is a little bit hesitant and maybe prioritising the league or prioritising the Europa League over the FA Cup. But we look at it and think the trophies are so important for Solskjaer, but then we look at a team like this or a team selection against Leicester City in a must-win FA Cup game and he's rested Bruno Fernandes. And you just think, well, did he need to rest Bruno Fernandes now ahead of an international break? Couldn't that have rest have come against Sociedad when we're 4-0 up? I think Bruno played that second leg, did he? No, he did. Yeah, he did. So Bruno could have had these rests so many other games. However, he's given it when the trophy's on the line. And it just... Look, I love Solskjaer, but this is my probably my main criticism of him. I think, man, management-wise, he's been brilliant for United. However, his management sort of in regards to physical fitness and team selection, I think is probably his biggest weakness at the moment. If I'm playing devil's advocate here, you're looking at it from a Manchester United fan perspective. If you put yourself in Solskjaer's shoes, I think he's played his cards. I think he's showing that he values the Europa League more than the FA Cup. Hmm. And to be fair, rightfully so. I mean, if I'm in his shoes, what saves my job? It's securing Champions League football. Europa League gives me that. So does securing top four. The FA Cup, like you said, Louis van Gaal won an FA Cup and he got fired the next day. So... If you're Solskjaer, if you don't have the quality and depth like your a Manchester City does, you have to you have to play your cards. You have to take your risks. And yeah, it's easy to be critical. Should we do better? Of course, I expect more. But you know, I don't think that that squad is there. And you saw it today. You saw today against the Leicester side that the depth isn't there to be competitive on all fronts. So he's chosen which trophies he wants to prioritize, and I can't criticize him too hard for that. Yeah, I agree good, with him, to be honest. Well, yeah, it's a good point because you go back to the start of the season, um, all our points in regards to what our goal for the season, what do we want to achieve, both from our point of view, but also what Solskjaer and the club need to achieve, it was about top four. So Solskjaer is in a very good position now to get top four. It would almost be close to a disaster if we don't get top four, but also so close with the Europa League, which guarantees that top four spot plus a trophy. So, yeah, in regards to priorities... Yes, we do want a trophy in the FA Cup, and I'm, so, I'm positive Solskjaer did as well. But yeah, you probably have to look at it and think maybe, yeah, he isn't too keen on the FA Cup because he has seen a world-class manager in Louis van Gaal win the FA Cup and given the boot. So um, yeah, you're completely right on that. So um, just on the Europa League and the trophy, just before we wrap up, maybe it's a bit of an exaggeration because, look, 
I made the point during the week. You could get into four cup finals, and you could lose. You could be on the verge of a quadruple, but you could lose all four cup finals on penalties. And suddenly, you win no trophies, and you have a failure of a season. But you're a pubic hair away from winning four trophies and the greatest season in history. So, the trophy argument, you do need context when debating that. But I look at it now, and maybe it's the frustration of going out in the FA Cup. But I'm almost getting the feeling for Solskjaer's job. And not, not so much his job, but the perception around his job, which does have a heavy influence, it almost feels like it'll be a disaster if we don't win the Europa League now. Well, we're definitely favourites. And you look at the rest of the teams left in the competition, it shows you that quality sides can drop out in, in, in cup competitions. It's not easy. You know, Tottenham, you, look, you, there are a number of reasons why Tottenham aren't playing well. But on paper, you have to say they were a better side than their opposition. They lost convincingly. So it just shows in cups, you need luck. It doesn't matter how good you are. It's just 120 minutes of football. That's it. Or in today's case, 90 minutes. Um, in terms of the cups, yeah, I mean, I, I think we have to win the Europa League. You know, and look, I'm not one who's going to say if he doesn't win the Europa League, he's a failure or it's a poor season. You know, at the end of the day, it's about progress for me. And I think if we are closing that gap towards first, I think he's achieved that. Um, I think a trophy is the icing on the cake. And I, I think the Europa League is there to be won. But again, if, if it comes down to playing for a game that secures us a top four finish or winning the Europa League, I understand, again, if he's prioritising that top four finish. Because the league's your bread and butter. That's what's going to keep him in the job. Until he has a strong enough squad, I, I'm trying to be more sensible in my approach now because you have to put yourself in his shoes. You, you understand it. So, yeah, definitely go for the Europa League. It's there to be won, but the league's your priority. Yeah, no, look, I completely agree. And um, I think that's a good point to wrap up the podcast on. And um, we'll just think, we're just having a chat before, obviously. Well, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's always a bad thing for me. But the international break is upon us. Um, United now go, probably, it'll feel like 12 weeks until their next football match. Uh, it will will drag on a little bit. So um, there is obviously no football this week. So we're thinking maybe, which we have done in the past, um, to meet up at a pub somewhere and invite any listeners in Sydney to come down. Obviously, feel free to fly in from another country and quarantine if you want to join us at the pub. But probably just those people in Sydney, um, feel free to come down. Um, I think it may be Sunday and both Larry and I, which you probably know, are a little bit interested in some of the fights and the MMA. And there's a big UFC card and... Um, this big heavyweight title fight. So I think maybe you could do a podcast, maybe, which we've discussed in the past in regards to that thinking, maybe like United's greatest pound-for-pound signing. So is it someone like Eric Cantona for only a million? Or is it Robin Van Persie in terms of he's bought in short term and end up winning the league? And I think that would be a good debate because if we have five or six people around the table having a beer, I'm sure someone will put Van Persie, someone will put Roy Keane, someone will put Dennis Irwin, players like that. Um, who knows? Could put Paul Pogba in there. But um, I'm not sure Larry would be that drunk, would you? Oh, no. Nah. But you know what? Since we're on the MMA theme, massive fight this week, who out of all of United's players would you, in, in history, would you have backed to be heavyweight champion in the UFC? Heavyweight champion. Am I taking into consideration the size of the person? Or just the... Yeah. They have okay. to fit the bill. So someone who's 205 pounds. Oh, more. God. Look, you'd be looking at, I don't know, maybe someone like Steve Bruce or I'm thinking Emmanuel Vidic is a big guy. Um, yeah, Vidic, Vidic is the one for me. Rio Ferdinand. I could see him 
Rio Ferdinand's quite rangy. I think he, I don't know if he, if he could box it, which he obviously well, tried to have a bit of a foul. He was, yeah, career. but he was a finesse footballer for me. Like, don't get me wrong, Rolls Royce of a defender, absolutely brilliant. But Nemanja Mirich, uh, Mirich, Nem, no, I can't talk, mate. I'm yeah, having yeah. problems today. Nemanja Viric, man, early morning wake ups, I tell you. Um, Viric is just that sort of player, like, you could see him ripping in with the headbutts and taking a man down and getting putting the wrestle in on the mat. I think Vidic would have been, I, I would have backed him. Yeah, I, no, I reckon he'd take Brock Lesnar in a fight. I'm thinking, though, maybe just from the Dutch thing, you mentioned Brock Lesnar, one of Brock Lesnar's biggest um, sort of defeats, obviously, Alistair Overeem, a Dutch guy, Dutch kickboxer. So maybe looking back and thinking of that Dutch theme, mm-hmm. I'd probably be looking at maybe Yapstam. I just think if he was a kickboxer, a Dutch kickboxing technique, I think um, Yapstam maybe has a little bit of a challenge. But um, yeah. The way he was going in for tackles in that Bayern Munich <laughs> friendly game, <laughs> that's some technique. For yes. Taekwondo. So yeah. um, obviously everyone in Sydney is feel free. Just get in touch with us. Send us a message. Might be sort of maybe the Parramatta area. Um, it seems quite central for a lot of people. Um, we'll meet up at the pub, have a, po- have a podcast, a few beers, and try and kill the time with no football. But um, until then, hopefully everyone enjoyed the podcast and is sort of recovering from the defeat against Leicester. And obviously is subscribed in all your podcast apps and following us on all social medias. Truly appreciate all the support. And um, until then, Larry, try and stay dry and keep away from all the floods. Yeah, yeah, thanks, mate. All right, let's wrap up this podcast so we can go play some pro clubs. Easy. Beautiful. See everyone.